0: Welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith.
1: I am David Bax.
0: I like that. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing?
1: I'm. Listeners might uh, know the last time we recorded with you, my. uh, Look, this is. We're not using our up to date. Board, right. we're using the old board. Yeah. Um, and uh, there were some problems. So, kind of the reason I introduced myself very staccato like that was because I was looking at the levels uh, to make yeah. sure I was registering as I was saying that. Yeah. So, uh, looks good for now. I'll just have to keep an eye on it. I also yeah. have to make sure not to flail about, which I, I never realized before. Um, Natalie made me very aware of it but I do talk with my hands yeah. and it, like I never thought of myself as a guy who like gesticulates but I really talk with my hands
0: I yeah I also talk with my hands which I did not realize until I had no access to my hands right yeah uh, it's very strange it's very strange when like you're just instinctively like whether it be like air quotes yeah. or just certain gestures that you make without even realizing it and then suddenly you're very aware that you're, yeah. of what you do naturally
1: um, but the reason I mentioned Natalie is because she has like said like like when we go out to dinner with another couple and we're sitting on the same side of the table she'll say beforehand like don't Hit me in the face, <laughs> like oh, you, wow. you have almost hit me in the face too many times. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just like getting too into a conversation, yeah. and like I've never actually hit her in the face, but she's like, I'm afraid you're going to hit me in the face one of uh-huh. these days because <laughs> uh, I get I get animated. Um, have I told you? Uh, I don't even know if I've told you this. I almost certainly haven't told the listeners this yet. So, um, Natalie knew who I was before we met. Okay, because she knew me as a guy who would hold court in the line for Comedy Death Ray on Tuesdays outside the UCB. I don't
0: think of myself... Of
1: knowing that about
0: you, she still was okay with, like, talking to you at all?
1: I don't think of myself as... Yeah, she didn't like me at first. Oh, okay. uh, I mean, when, when she didn't know me. Sure. When we actually, like, met in person, right. obviously, I'm a charm machine, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Um, I don't think of myself as a court holder generally but i guess in that situation i would have been with my friends i would have been so in my element yeah and so comfortable that i guess i can see myself i don't know holding court in her terms now i've had the people have said the
0: same thing about me and of course you don't realize it in the moment But you also realize, like... And it's not even so much about, like, you monopolize the conversation. It's not even that. It's more just you drive the conversation. Which, given that you and I have been doing this for so long, it's really not that surprising. Like, I feel like just in... Like, one of the impacts that the podcast has had on me is that uh, I'm able to, like, hold a conversation with multiple people with pretty much no pauses at all. Like, I can immediately jump from this person to that person, uh, ask for, like, clarification, all that kind of thing, uh, and then maybe offer my own commentary, but for the most part, I wind up asking a lot of questions. Oh, it's like the McLaughlin group or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> wrong. I'm yeah. saying wrong. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah. I don't know if that's I feel like that's not the term I would use. Holding court? <laughs> yeah, because
1: that definitely feels... <laughs> Annoying? Little, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, anyway, well, I mentioned Comedy Death Ray. Uh, you and I are big comedy fans. Yeah. that That for a long time was a big part of this podcast. Oh, yeah. Less so um, as years have gone on. But um, the comedy community and the art of comedy lost a uh, major figure uh, yeah. within this past week or so, yeah. uh, Paul Rubens and... Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, this is just something that
0: happens is like there are certain entertainers that, or or just public figures that will pass away and you're just like, wait, I thought I thought death didn't apply to you. You know, it's just hard to I, explain.
1: David Bowie is the one that oh, I was like, sure. I didn't think that David Bowie could die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like, oh, you've no, you're surely you are uh, one of the only things that is everlasting, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like and honestly, like, there's something about comedy that it's like even if the person jokes about serious stuff, it just doesn't feel like death is just in the cards. Like, that's how I felt about Norm MacDonald. It's like, What? what? Yeah. That doesn't make yeah. sense. And Paul Rubens, I think because all of us think of him as Pee Wee Herman, who's yeah. kind of this man-child, so, like, the idea of aging didn't apply to him, so why would death? And, um, yeah, when he passed away, I just thought, like, wow. And, and along those lines, like, another one like that is, like, Weird Al. Like, I cannot imagine
1: Right. Yeah. him, him
0: passing away, yeah. but he will someday. Yeah. And, um, but one of the things that I was thinking is, like, obviously everybody knows him first and foremost as Pee Wee Herman, but, you know, and he's done, but he's done a lot of other fun stuff, too, like in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In, yeah, the movie, uh, yeah. In the show, the show Gotham, where they brought him back to play Penguin's dad. Which oh, he, wow. Yeah, isn't that fun? That's
1: so cool. Um, yeah.
0: And then uh, Mystery Men and, you know, and he had a, I remember when I was younger, he showed up on uh, Murphy Brown for a few episodes and he was very memorable. Um, But one of the things that I wanted to ask, and obviously we we could take longer to dissect this. um, And I'm not saying, I'm not asking this in an incredulous way at all. It's more just the kind of thing that's like, why was, why was Pee Wee Herman funny? I'm not saying he wasn't. I thought he was. But I have a hard time placing exactly why.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess he was kind of doing... He was couching the, I guess, absurd in yeah. something that was a recognizable format. Yeah. And so I guess there was something in that... that. Um, was sort of looking for that that tension between yeah. like he's what he's doing is anarchic but yeah. what he's doing is in the framework which is happening would seem to be this very like safe yeah uh, that's true but i don't know i mean you know i like to analyze comedy i know a lot of people don't like when people analyze comedy i do like to analyze comedy but uh yeah I, I, he's just sometimes some it's just funny you know i know and it's uh, like yeah. this is how i feel about like um
0: like Ed Grimley, uh-huh. um, and even something like uh, like Wayne and Garth, where it's just like, I mean, these are developed characters yeah. who just are just funny, but I can't even really put my finger on what's funny about them. It's like, well, I guess they say funny thing, they say funny things, but it's more than that. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, Pee Wee Herman was definitely one of those, a truly original creation. And, uh, yeah, and also, speaking speaking of Norm MacDonald, Paul Re- Paul Rubens passed away of uh cancer that mm-hmm. he didn't tell anybody about. And, uh, you know, on one hand, that, that's kind of a bummer because it kind of gives, if you know that someone is sick, it gives people a chance to, like, Really treasure the person while they're still yeah. here, but I also get it, which is like Norm Macdonald. I remember I saw an interview uh, with Anthony Jeselnik where he was on How- Howie Mandel's show at the at the exact moment that like word got out about Norm, and they were just like shocked. And Anthony Jeselnik, who had worked with Norm on Last Comics, the last comic standing he had said like he goes oh I wish I'd been nicer to him and I think that is the exact attitude mm. that like Paul Rubens or Norm MacDonald wanted to avoid it's like I don't want you to associate me at all with pity or anything like that sure, I want yeah. you to associate me with funny until the moment I don't exist anymore and I kind of respect that yeah um but anyway, so yeah, Paul Rubens, R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, he was tremendously, uh, he was definitely one of a kind.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm so glad that I, um, I mean, I guess now we're always removed from the height of the pandemic. But when I say yeah. the pandemic, I mean the like, time when we weren't going out at all. Right. I, so I watched... Rewatched Pee uh, Wee's Big Adventure for the first time yeah. in forever in in twenty twenty or maybe early twenty twenty one, and it's, it was even funnier than I remember, and, yeah. and it was greater. And it was it's not just Pee Wee the character; he also wrote the movie with yeah. Phil Hartman. So a lot of the stuff that isn't even him is funny. I've told you, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'll cut this out if you don't want me to to talk about this. But because, as you said, you can't move, you know. Yeah. So if you need something you ask for it, and you always say please at the end, which is very nice, but I'm always reminded (laughs) of Pee Wee offering Francis the trick gum and asking if he wants mint or fruit, and Francis saying fruit, please. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and you know what? I actually, I didn't watch the Netflix Pee Wee thing that
1: our friend Paul Rust uh, helped write. I haven't watched it. I feel like I should, though. Yeah, I probably should. Uh, Well, Before we move on, I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, I use them each every day of my life. Speaking of people who passed away, I mean, yes, Robbie Robertson passed away, so RIP Robbie Robertson, but also uh, Rodriguez, Sixto Rodriguez, just known as Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. the... uh, Subject of the Oscar-winning documentary *Searching for Sugar Man*. Oh yeah. Uh, he he also just died at, at the age of, of eighty one. And, and this morning on my morning walk, I was revisiting some of his his best songs, uh, and they sounded great on my TweakAudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low low price at Audio.com, But if you use the offer code Pretension at checkout, you get one thirty you get one third off that already low price. So please go to TweakDartio.com and use the offer code pretension. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. Doing the podcast standing up, which I am because I'm like literally at your bedside, throws me off. Um. I am not used to like, I I keep forgetting the cadences and stuff like that. Well, it's like a Uh, standing desk, you know? People say that's better. uh, Like Rumsfeld. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. What was
0: it? uh, There was an episode of Family Guy where Peter was like working for his father-in-law's company. And then his father-in-law like had something over on him, or maybe it was just that like he was doing him a favor by employing him. And he's like, he goes, and so he says like, this is what you have to do while you work for me. And one of them is like, like uh, you have to use a standing desk. And it's like, all right. He goes, ah, but you also have to tell everyone all the time about how superior it is. Uh, and you have to say frequently, uh, sitting is the real killer. Yeah. And Peter's like, can I just let people live their lives? He's like, no. Yeah. And so that's what I associate with a standing desk. Yeah.
1: Uh, No, I love to, I think I said this on the podcast before, but like, you know, most of my coworkers, like me are pretty liberal. So whenever they have a standing desk, I'm like, oh, you're just like Donald Rumsfeld. (laughs) Okay. There you go. Um, Now we're uh, uh, a little over a month ago, Scott, uh, Nye, and I uh, counted down our top five films of 2023 so far yeah uh you understandably have taken a little bit of time to get up you right. haven't been able to make it out to the theaters incorrect. so you're kind of waiting for things to to show up on on uh on, on streaming or, or or however you're watching them uh so a little bit late we are going to do your top five films of the year so far uh yeah. did you want me I know you said you wanted me to recap my top five. Were you saying at the end or now? Now. Okay. So my top five of the year at the time. At since, the time, yeah. has, has since changed. Um, number five, You Hurt My Feelings. Number four, Asteroid City. Number three, Infinity Pool. Number two, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And number one, Past Lives. Okay. So, yeah. We, uh, we do have some overlap here. Okay. Um, and,
0: uh, and so I'll say this. Uh, the big... When I say big, I mean big for us. Uh, The big movies that I haven't seen, I haven't seen Are You There, God It's Me, Margaret, Margaret, which I've heard nothing but great things about. Um, I have not seen You Hurt My Feelings, which based on my my adoration of uh, Enough Said, I Mm -hmm. think I would love. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Barbie and Oppenheimer yet, uh, obviously, because they're pretty recent. I haven't seen uh, The New Mission Impossible. Um, and as of today, uh, the last voyage of the Demeter is in theaters, and I've been looking forward to that movie for months. And you know, I'm obviously not gonna see it for a while, but, uh, but I'm glad that it's getting good reviews because the first thing I thought was like, "Damn, that is an amazing premise. Like everyone knows that aspect of Dracula that when he goes from Transylvania to London yeah. the ship arrives with nobody left alive and they never go into any detail about it and so it's like oh let's just hypothesize what that looked like and I was like oh my gosh How was no one thought of that until yeah. right now so I'm, I'm
1: really looking forward to it yeah I I hope to like it too when I first I think I've said like I'm look we've been doing a podcast for yeah I don't know, 20 fucking years or something. Yeah. Uh, no, it's been 16, Sixteen. little uh, coming up on 16 and a half. If we're yeah. still counting half years. Um, so I'm going to repeat myself, but, uh, when I, yes, yeah, same, same as you, when I heard the premise uh I was I thought that's terrific, but yeah. as I always do, the uh, first thing I looked at is who's the director. I'm not I have not been a fan of Andre Overdahl since he came to America. Okay. Um he made uh Troll Hunter is like his big thing. Troll Hunter was the one that made his name yeah. and it's like it's not, you know it's not an amazing movie, but it's it's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. And then he came here and he made scary stories to tell in the dark, which I didn't really like. He made a movie called Mortal, which was uh God awful, I have to say. I don't know. Some people, I, I didn't see Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I know people, no. some people liked. Uh, I can't, I can't speak to that. So, well, and, and I was I, a little
0: trepidatious. What's that? I like scary stories more than you do, right, right? I do think that its problems are with the script. Mm-hmm. Um, from a, from a, a tone
1: a tonal standpoint and just the general mood, I think he nails it. Um, by the way. Uh... <laughs> You and I might, or you might be reading different reviews than the norm. Oh, okay. I don't know if you, the, the current Rotten Tomatoes score for Last Voyage of the Demeter is 45%. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. Because I've seen a lot of people on
0: Twitter say good things about it, and I saw the AV Club was very complimentary of it. And uh, so, yeah, I, maybe I'm, yeah, I'm just looking at the wrong uh, the Yeah, wrong, I, haven't the wrong really, I haven't really read any reviews at all. The thing that everyone says, and I could see some people saying this is a criticism, that it's basically alien on board a, a ship, yeah. uh, a sailing ship. And part of me is like, yeah, all right, what's the problem? <laughs> what, uh, what point are you making here? Yeah, um, that sounds pretty great. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So with my, you know what? Do you guys talk about your least favorite movies of the year so far? Uh, we didn't. We, okay, we, I'm going to. Yeah,
1: it's your episode. Right you can now, do what you want.
0: Right now, I've uh, got two movies that are in the running for least favorite. Um, One is a movie I've talked about before, Nefarious, Mm -hmm. which is a Christian horror movie. And we can put quotes around horror because it is not scary. Um, And I think it's not trying to be, it's trying to be a little bit like a psychological thriller. But it does pretty much everything wrong (laughs) where it's just like, oh, let's. It's this psychiatrist talking to a prison inmate who uh, claims to be uh, possessed by a demon. So it's the two of them talking for long stretches of time. And it's like, all right, that's not bad. But just like, so many of the artistic choices it makes are just, they're just wrong. Which is like, all right, we want, uh, we want these two guys to like be in this uh, battle of wills or whatever. You know what we should do? Put them in the middle of a massive room, where there's no sense of claustrophobia at all. And just to really emphasize it, let's do some nice, some nice big wide shots. And it's like, wh- what are you doing, man? Like, you're you, whatever tension you created, you've completely diffused at this point. And uh, yeah, and it's just, and it's written, just. As Christian movies often are just really uh, on the nose and that kind of thing um,
1: um, I, I, I haven't, haven't seen it so I don't have anything to say about that but saying Christian horror remi- reminded me are you aware of the Instagram account Christian Nightmares no <laughs> it's basically Christian people doing things that are unintentionally hilarious oh boy. like here's a, well, it happens a lot. Here, here's a sign <laughs> So, sign outside a church that says, "Eat the devil's corn, you will choke on his cob." But
0: that has to be
1: on purpose. It has to be right. And then here's one I, that I don't even know how to describe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't entirely understand what it's supposed to be. It says, looks- "It's faith as small as a mustard seed." So it's a mustard seed, but it looks like it's in an anus. Well, I mean, like, is or like mustard? a peach or something. Yeah, But yeah, like, I guess I don't know, like... What a mustard seed exactly. looks like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, Christian Nightmares is... Uh, well, obviously, a, a I'm going to subscribe to that as soon as I can. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, so the other... <laughs> least, oh, what do we got? Okay, Let just the see. rule of
1: threes, I'll do a third one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no. It says... Come, Holy Spirit, come, and it has a likeness of what I think is supposed to be a tree, but it looks like a phallus yes. instead of leaves, just a, uh, squirting yeah. everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> oh boy.
0: This is the thing. Is like it's something that um, that my friends and I have talked about. Um, I believe one time we were doing this riff about, You ever mentioned the the Kendrick brothers, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... We were on this riff about someone getting tattoos of, uh, Kendrick, Kendrick Brother movie titles uh, <laughs> on genitals and on your butt. <laughs> um, and so it was just, like... And I don't remember, it was, like, uh... Like, facing the giants would be, like, on your balls or whatever. <laughs> and so, uh... And then the, your butt, it would be war room. Uh-huh. Um, and then, uh, and then I, we were kind of going, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And he's like, he goes, "What would we have uh, tattooed on our dick?" And I'm like, "They literally have a movie called Overcomer." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and he goes, yeah. "How did they not realize?" I'm like, "Because they're just shut off from yeah any anything that could be considered lewd." and so maybe their audience doesn't realize it either, but man oh man. Anyway, okay, so the other movie that I really didn't like, uh, (laughs) The Little Mermaid. Ah. What? So I'm on record as hating these live action remakes anyway. um, I like Cinderella. Aladdin actually wasn't that bad. I abhor The Lion King. And Little Mermaid is not far behind. It's just such a, it's so unnecessary. It's such a waste of time and resources. Anything new that it adds to the story uh, only serves to like slow it down or it doesn't fit tonally with what they're doing at all. And the thing that I was thinking about is just like when you look at the original Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin, whatever, is it like there's just a charm to them that these movies don't have because the movies are trying to be grounded in reality. And when you do that, it's like, yeah, but we all live in reality. (laughs) And it's not that interesting, you know? (laughs) Like, Melissa McCarthy plays Ursula, and she's good, she does a good job, it's fine. But when it comes right down to it, they're trying to make this as realistic as this octopus woman can be, as opposed to like, he animated Ursula where like just her, her face is so big and just completely disproportionate like she doesn't look and she doesn't look like an actual person right and it's like yeah you as it turns out you can do more when you're not trying to evoke reality and uh, yeah so it's just it's just such a swing and a miss and uh, it's just so frustrating like i know this is something that like critics say all the time it's like how many solid mid-budget or low budget movies with you know an ounce of originality could have been made for that for the budget for that one movie that did not do well at the box office anyway and uh yeah it was just so frustrating as i was watching it because it's just again it's I I feel like it's it's pure studio calculation. I think it's them like, how can we wring more money out of this concept? I don't think there's any artistic uh, elements behind it. I don't think anybody actually cares about it as an artistic product. And uh, yeah, it just uh, really, really depressed me. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, sorry, guys. (laughs) so, uh... Excuse me. <clears throat> so getting in my top five, I'll try to go through them relatively quickly because we got a late start. Um, yeah, it's okay. Number five is Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. I'm so glad that, that you liked it. Boy, oh boy. I really liked it. And yeah, of course, like, there's some very strange moments and strange scenes and that kind of thing. And, but... You know, going back to what I was saying about, like, an original, like, original ideas. Granted, this, there are elements in the film that have been used elsewhere, but what I like about it, so, I'm sure David already talked about the story, it's this couple at a nice resort, and they go out joyriding with another couple, and they wind up accidentally hitting hitting a, uh, hitting and killing a local with their car, and the local government requires that they uh, that they get the death penalty. But they also say, oh, well, if you want, like, uh, we can actually make a double of you and he can pay the consequences for a price and then you can just go about your lives. So he does that and then there's, he falls into this society, this small society of people that have done this and as a result, and they just live this completely hedonistic, horrible lifestyle. And one thing that I love is that, like, the concept of, you know, oh, the double has has the character's memories and all that kind of thing. And so, you know, so many other sci-fi movies have said, like, like, oh, but which one's the double? And what I like is that that question is addressed in a party atmosphere and it's immediately laughed off. Uh-huh. I kind of love that there's, like, oh uh, yeah we don't have time for that we're uh too busy drinking yeah <laughs> um but uh but yeah and so but what i love about it and maybe this is just the the christian in me the idea of somebody paying the price for what you did um but in this case it's just you again like it's just so fascinating to me because ultimately by having their clones uh or doubles pay the price uh they, these characters live in a world completely free of consequence at least to them and, but in order to do that they have to numb themselves to the idea mm-hmm. of these doubles which by all accounts are just other people um, with a genuine amount of fear going in uh, they have to just make peace with the fact they're like oh yeah, yeah that's going to happen and so it's this idea that like every double that dies it's like oh Another little part of these characters is dying, and so, so thematically, I remember thinking like, oh, and I actually said this kind of as a joke on Twitter, but it's not really a joke. That like I see it as like the White Lotus meeting Lord of the Flies. Um, you know, it's just these people in a remote situation, removed from their lives, and what happens when you take away uh, consequences? And it's just like they do whatever they want they become just monstrous people Um, but that's just the story and the theme I also just think the I love the score I think it's shot beautifully and they really create this sense of like paradise turning into like this horrible purgatory kind of thing and yeah I really I have not seen I have not seen Possessor Um, uh, by all accounts uh, it's just as good if not better uh, and I'm certainly going to watch it watch it now um, but yeah I was not I expected Infinity Pool to be interesting and, and intriguing I did not expect it to like stick with me like it has been and I uh, yeah I really really love it
1: yeah Uh well, you know yeah listeners already heard me talk about it but um, I mean we're in the uh, we're in the age of Mia Goth uh, and yeah. she's uh, absolutely fantastic in, oh my in this movie. Um, yeah, I think it's the first thing I've seen her in that she's using her actual native accent. I'm trying to think what else I've seen her in. Well, she was in X and Pearl last yeah, year. Yeah, and I haven't seen either of those. Um, oh, someone's at the door. We might. I'm recording, no. Ian. <laughs> Alright, well that's staying in, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what else, but um, let's move on. Okay. Oh, and I will say about
0: Mia Goth, that scene where she's on the hood of the car, oh my God. like mocking our main character. Yeah. My thought was like, I've never wanted a character dead <laughs> so much. And, and I, immediately I was like,
1: yeah, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Damn it. But I, I mean, I get what you mean because she's being awful, but also oh I just gosh. like, I love it. <laughs> so, oh, it's, it's so fun. It's a great performance for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so next up for me
0: is uh, a movie that. I believe you have not seen, which is fascinating that I've seen it before you. Okay, and that's John Wick Chapter Four. I know.
1: I haven't seen it.
0: Man, oh man! What is wrong with me? Um. So you know, I've I I've liked the John Wick movies. Um, I caught up on all of them uh, a few months ago, and uh, with four the fourth one, I just thought like eh, it's going to be just like more of the same. And in some ways, it is, but it's just. It's one of those things, I've said this before, and I've said it about, like, uh, Mission Impossible movies, that um, I like when an action movie rings every little bit of action from every circumstance. Sure, And this one, even more than the others, it does that. There's this amazing scene where, there's this amazing sequence where he basically has to get across town, and along the way, the the you know bounty or whatever you want to call it just keeps going up and up so like he just keeps hitting like more um, assassins more assassins and uh, and each each section of this sequence uh, is astonishing and, and it's unique from the others like there's one that's essentially I wouldn't say a car chase so much as a gunfight but everyone's in cars Um, and it's just so wonderfully done and there are some moments that have a really good sense of humor to them Uh, there's a couple of fun uh, movie references there's a very direct uh, Lawrence of Arabia reference I think that there's a sequence that is paying homage to The Exorcist Okay. Um, and uh, and that scene also happens to be hilarious, which I think is on purpose. I'm not hundred percent sure.
1: I think the the John Wick movies have okay. become more and more comedic. I mean, in yeah. their own way. But I think like um, in near the beginning of chapter three. Yeah. Uh, when they just, like, find themselves in, <laughs> themselves in a room full of knives, and suddenly yeah. knives are involved, and then oh, the guy yeah. gets slowly stabbed through the eyeball. Like, oh, wow. it's awful, yeah. it's incredibly violent, but yeah. it, it, there is a bit of comedy to that, to, like, yeah. oh, these guys are chasing me, and oh, look, <laughs> there's knives everywhere now. Yeah.
0: Oh, I think, I think you'll absolutely uh, find these things funny that I thought were funny. Um, but also, they, they introduce a couple new characters... And one of them played by uh, uh, Donnie Yen. Okay. And he's, oh, he's amazing in it. And his sequence is he plays a a blind assassin. And I remember you and I, when we were talking about uh, Don't Breathe, we Mm -hmm. said, like, all right, this character's blind. But I think a lot of movies, they're like, oh, look at how amazing these blind characters are. But it's like, yeah, but they still got to do, like, basic things to know where they are and all that. And so there are a couple things in in Don't Breathe that you and I liked because it showed, like, it at least acknowledged that yeah, there are still some things he has to do. And so Donnie Yen, like, there are moments where, because he has a cane, uh, he has a cane sword, and so, like, as he's he's, like, following people, he'll, like, run the sword across, like, along a wall until Mm -hmm. it stops, like, and he does it just so swiftly and so fluidly that it's just like oh man it, I totally buy it and I think it's astonishing and um, yeah it really is just uh, and there's and there's also like a lot of people including myself have said that like John Wick after a while feels like a video game mm-hmm. uh, and this movie leans into that very overtly uh, where there's this one sequence where He's basically, like, going from one weapon to another, uh-huh. increasing in lethality, <laughs> and uh, and then the 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 camera goes from at his angle to, like, above him, like, looking down, straight down wow. as he goes from room to room and all that. And, I gotta uh, see this. This sounds so cool. It is so great. I definitely think it's the best of the four. I think there's tremendous craftsmanship. It's absolutely gorgeous looking. Yeah. As they... As they all have been, and uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I, yeah. Uh, you would, of course you'll love it. You yeah. like the other ones. I mean, you mentioned that, that idea of trying to get everything out of the scene. Chad Stahelski has made no secret of the fact that he's a big fan of Buster Keaton and other silent comedians, yeah. and that, that feels like something that comes yeah. from that. Like, let's see how many things we can do with, uh, physically with uh, what's, what's, what's in front of us. I believe there is even one of the John Wick posters where he has
0: uh, all the guns pointed at him. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, that's a reference to a Harold Lloyd uh, that's right. publicity yeah. poster.
1: Um, but does that mean, is it two or three where, like, there's Buster Keaton is literally projected on oh, the yeah, wall? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think t- Two and three kind of run together for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, me too. I don't I don't totally remember, but um, um, so- Okay, so that's your number four. What's number three? Number three is, another overlap with you, uh, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Uh, a film that, I'll be honest, I wanted to like more than I did. Um, I don't think I've truly loved a Wes Anderson film since Fantastic Mr. Fox, even uh, even Grand Budapest. Like, there are things that
1: I love about it, but the movie as a whole I didn't necessarily love. Um, I love Grand Budapest. It makes me sad when the cat dies. Other than sure. that, Grand Budapest is probably my favorite. Yeah. Of all of them Yeah, then Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Um, and of course, you know what? I, I I got pretty close to loving The French Dispatch, um, but yeah. I thought like not all of the stories were on the same level. Some of them were more interesting than others, as tends to happen with a movie like that. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> Asteroid City is, I mean, unsurprisingly, it's just so beautiful, and... It just does such a great job of like how do you make a city look both three dimensional and two dimensional at the same time which given the I won't say framing device because it's obviously more than that but uh, given the the storytelling device it makes sense why it would have to look like both um, and so but it's not merely like things are really beautiful but it's also like there's some genuinely funny jokes in there like uh like a highway ramp that has been abandoned, <laughs> uh, but not torn down. Yeah. Um. And uh, and the specifics of like the little motel and all that. Um. You really get such a such a sense of place. Uh, more so maybe than like. I mean yeah I guess I got that with with Grand Budapest but and maybe even uh, Darjeeling Limited or Life Aquatic like he's just really good at create, creating something out of whole cloth and then really exploring it which i think he does in this movie um and while i you know i had a hard time emotionally connecting with it that's one of the good things about him is when you have characters that are speaking in sort of that monotone um then that means every little gesture is huge mm-hmm. you know like This was a film where like, you know, people are just declaring how they feel, but not having any of the emotion to go with it. And then suddenly somebody holds somebody else's hand and it's like the biggest thing ever. And I almost started crying as a result. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, he just, I'm just fascinated by, I'm still fascinated by the way he makes movies. Um, And even if I don't love his movies, I still admire the hell out of them. And that's definitely how I feel about this movie, where there are frequent moments that I think are absolutely wonderful, and then other moments that I think are merely very good. Um, but uh, And of course, it's got a, an amazing cast, and uh, I think he uses them very well. Uh, and there's just certain images that I'll always remember, like uh, Liev Schreiber shooting a laser gun. Um, <laughs> During yeah. target practice and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh certainly anything I have to say about the film, uh, is not new, but uh I'm sure everyone else has been saying it. It is a very well uh well loved movie mm-hmm. and uh and I certainly uh certainly really liked it
1: as well. Yeah, I I really dug it and, and definitely plan to watch it again. My only like the stuff that I tend to not like about Wes Anderson is when I feel like he's pushing for sentimentality because he's not an unsentimental right. director but his his way of expressing himself is a little bit I don't know <laughs> yeah I don't know how to say it without saying something like offensive maybe about people with like a mental illness oh, but sure. it, like like a lot of the times the stuff in his movies that moves me the most is the things you're talking about that are so small you know uh so uh Asteroid City definitely maybe loses half a star or so on Letterboxed for things like the Margot Robbie scene, which I thought was like really pushing for something that I, as opposed to like arriving somewhere. See, I I actually really I like that
0: scene a lot um, because I feel like it didn't push that. It didn't Hmm. push too hard I, it definitely was a lot more overt than his other scenes which is really saying something considering <laughs> how overt his scenes are at least as far as the dialogue but um
1: but that scene really worked for me okay uh but what What i what the, the reason i intend to return to asteroid city um the movie and the the place the uh, yeah. <laughs> um is that i mean Sadness and melancholy have always been a part of his movies. There's an argument to be made, I think, that Asteroid City is the saddest movie that he's made. And I think it's because it's about people who come face-to-face with something ineffable and something like that is glorious. And it just, the knowledge that there's so much more out there just makes them sadder. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I found that very moving. Yeah. Uh, Are we on to number two for you? Number two. Yeah.
0: Much to my surprise, and I don't know, actually don't know if you've seen this or not, but when I saw it, boy, it really, uh, it really hooked me and it really
1: got me and that's M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. <sighs> That's another one I, I missed a lot early in this year, so no, yeah, I, I, I really want to see that, because I liked Old a lot. Yeah, I um, haven't seen that one yet. So I was definitely looking forward to this, and I love Dave Bautista. So yeah, I was looking forward to this. Man. It's
0: it's good on a lot of levels, but Dave Bautista is the heart of that movie, and his performance, it's... It's heartbreaking, it's frightening, it's sympathetic, it's endearing, it's all of these things. And he pulls it off so wonderfully. And it's just, and it works so well with his frame. Like the the choice to cast him itself is tremendously inspired. Um, the rest of the cast is great too, but like he is his character is written well and he is doing something very special um, which is really exciting um, but yeah one of the things that I, I as is the case with every Shyamalan movie even the ones that aren't that good um, is that like he has such a command of tone that uh that there are scenes like you know I'm not gonna be spoiling anything when I say that Uh, the four people that come to the cabin they make it very clear they are not going to hurt anybody okay like they say that from the outset and yet we don't believe them even when it's clear when it is made clear they are not going to hurt anybody there's still this tension of like well whether you hurt us or not this situation is just so so horrifying that like the fact that you're even just the fact that you're here is itself threatening um and that's a that's in the writing in the performances but also in just the general tone that is really hard to to pull off like that absolutely could have like took the air out of whatever sense of suspense there was but it never lets up you're always there just and you're so curious. Every every development you're just like, Man, where's where are we going with this? and how? how is this gonna end and what's true and what isn't and and it's just uh and it's one of those things where like after a certain point you kind of wanna believe this thing, but you also don't because to do so is terrible. And so it's just this just this wonderful little, you know, Twilight Zone of the movie mm. that uh, that worked for me
1: on basically every level, uh, and I think you would adore it. Um, two things. Dave Batiste has got to be the most talented pro wrestler turned actor, right? I remember you and I, uh, I mean, I, I had this thought. You and yeah. I were talking
0: about this with uh, Mike Schmidt, and um, on that episode where he and I talked about wrestling for the whole episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, most talented. I mean, obviously,
1: day. The Rock has the Rock screen is presence is, to burn. Like, absolutely, that's great. And but I mean, so does Dave Bautista. It was a, like John Cena has obviously carved out a great yeah. role as a, as a comic actor. Yeah, but I'm trying to think who else. Like Jesse Ventura was in some things. Or yeah. Piper. I who else? It. Hulk Hogan obviously is not not I'm a good sure. actor. Um, Kevin Nash has shown up. Like he's in the first John Wick, and he's and, in um, um, He was on an episode of. Uh, Detroiters. Did you watch Detroiters? No, I didn't. Oh, well, you, you, you'd love it. You're a Tim Robinson fan, so he uh, am, yes. he plays Tim Robinson's dad in an episode mm-hmm. of, of Detroiters. And
0: was he also in uh, the first Magic Mike? Oh, I think he was. Yeah. I think he
1: was. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's good, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Dave Bautista is just... No, I, I think I agree with
0: you. Like, when I think of whether it be, like, Blade Runner or certain beats in um, Guardians and certainly this movie... I think Dave Bautista like has a great deal of charisma, but it's the kind of charisma that can be molded and shaped into something else. Whereas I think The Rock, as much as I enjoy him, and I do, I always enjoy him. Um, I feel like he's just so damn charming and so and has so much of a specific kind of movie star big screen charisma. That yeah, I think there are things that Bautista has has done that Dwayne Johnson actually probably would not be able to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would be able to shed um, uh, who he is. Right. So, yeah, I think I'm inclined to uh, inclined to agree with you. Um, as much as I love uh, Randy Savage as a, a bone saw.
1: Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what? I changed, I changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. No, um, And then my other thing I was going to say, this is, I don't know if this was intentional or just... But the the nature of how you're able to watch things. Even though we're doing this in August, all your picks are from the first half of the, like all things that were released by the end of June, right? Uh yeah, I believe so, yes. Okay. I don't know if you intended to do that, or if it was just like well, it's just nothing the... that was released in July yeah. is available to you yet. Yeah,
0: I think it's just the nature of that. Yeah. Um, I did recently a few days ago I watched uh uh, across the Spider-Verse.
1: I don't remember when that was released. That was in June. That was in June, okay. That might yeah. have even been the end of May when that came out. Okay. I know that I was I was on the East Coast with Natalie, and then I got sick, not COVID, got sick after that trip, which is why I didn't get a chance to see it yeah. before we did our... before Scott and I did our episode. Okay, so we're on to your number one, number right? Number one. Number one is... Another movie that I think
0: the you missed, which was, uh, is uh, Ari Aster's
1: Boa's Afraid. I'm, I haven't seen it, but I'm so glad oh that my it's gosh. on your list. Because some people hate it. Yeah, and you know what? There are times when
0: someone will be like, ah, most people hate it, or some people hate it, and I'll, I will immediately respond with like, yeah, but they're stupid. <laughs> uh, I can't say that this time. I totally get why someone wouldn't like it. It's a it's a very very stressful stressful movie as it should be. It is not necessarily visually, but it is inherently um, it is inherently uh, expressionistic. Okay. In that we're dealing with an anxiety ridden character. And you know, as someone who, uh, I don't struggle with anxiety, but I struggle with depression. And any kind of mental illness is going to color the way you see the world to such a degree that the world might as well be that. So we have a character that is just riddled with anxiety. And so we see the world through his eyes. And at first you think like, is this some kind of like, dystopian future movie or like some kind of alternate reality and it's like well yes to the alternate reality Mm -hmm. thing but not in so far as like a parallel reality it's more just the reality of this man like it puts you we're not watching a guy who is anxious we're seeing the world through his eyes where he lives in like this this nightmarish neighborhood in, in New York where like like uh, he winds up accidentally leaving his apartment door unlocked and of course every person in the neighborhood just immediately goes into his apartment, like goes into his building, goes into his apartment, completely trashes it and it's just like obvious it's like everyone just seemed to know all at the same time oh, his apartment's unlocked, let's go. And it's like, yeah, that's how an anxious person, that's yeah. how someone would think, which is yeah. like like the absolute worst thing that could happen, even if it doesn't make a great deal of sense. And so, so that's on one part, on one half, is just transporting you into the mind of this person who, you know, has trouble processing things the way your average person does. Um, But with it, but also, it's just, it's so much more than that. Uh, It is about his relationships, specifically with his mom. Um, And just, because the film starts, this is not a spoiler, the film starts with her uh, dying. And so he has to like make his way to her house for the Mm -hmm. funeral, um, and along the way, He's processing all kinds of stuff about his childhood, um, opportunities that he did not get because of his mother, or rather the way he views his mother, um, and so, and then just the the characters that he meets along the way. Like, none of the performances are are naturalistic like all of them are at least a little bit heightened or really heightened because again, when you're dealing with mental illness, then like when you're really in the thick of it, like everything is just off. Like again, speaking as someone who suffers from depression, like suddenly, like when I'm really in it, it's like everyone's mad at me you know regardless of what they say everything just feels like they're mad at me and and that they uh, that they can't really stand me anymore and so with with this uh, sometimes it's like oh but these people over here are very nice but they're nice in a way where it's like oh I'll never be that I'll never be uh happy like they are and so it's got a great cast it's got Nathan Lane in like one of my favorite performances uh, Amy Ryan who's always great mm-hmm. and um, and then uh, kind of some fun cameos uh, like Bill Hader and uh, mm. Parker Posey and Patty Lapone and yeah it's just so it's a great cast and they all do exactly what they need to do. I don't think I would ever see this as like a character-based movie, except of course it is like the character-based movie, but it's not like an acting showcase, except it kind of is. But it's, <laughs> it goes to like what you and I talked about years ago with uh, uh, American Hustle with like Bradley Cooper is that the performances while great, and while the actors are allowed to be really big and over the top. They're just one more part of this larger thing, this larger tapestry of anxiety and guilt and mental illness and just such a desire to like be free of all of that, uh, but feeling like you never can be and just feeling like people are accusing you all the time of of stuff that like can possibly be your, your responsibility. And so, Like, yeah, it's not an easy movie to watch. Um, And I could see people hating it because, well, first off, anybody that went in expecting just another Ari Aster horror movie would be very disappointed. Um, And yet it is kind of a horror movie, Mm -hmm. just not a traditional one. And it just captures a very awkward and unpleasant and scary element of living, which is your perception of things and how much that colors the world itself. And then what do you do about it? And what if you can't do anything about it? And so it is very sad at times. It's often very funny as well. Um, and it's just such a, I mean, I, I really liked Hereditary and I loved Midsummer but this is really like a leap forward for Ari Aster. Right. It's the kind of thing where it's like, all right, so he can move beyond horror. Not that there's anything wrong anything wrong with just being a horror director. I'm sure he would have made some really amazing things and maybe he'll go back to horror, but like clearly this is something that like is within him, something that he felt like he he had to deal with. Not just I don't mean like maybe he has anxiety, I don't know if he does or not but like there's just this story in him that just was going to claw its way out and he you know it's almost three hours I think people could very easily say that the film is self-indulgent but but I don't like to use that term very often because usually what some people call self-indulgent I call like a director just willing to go wherever the story takes him wherever the mood takes him and Mm -hmm. it's like yeah, I'm not gonna care about what mo- how much money this makes. I'm not even gonna care if everyone can relate to it. But someone out there is going to, whether they want to or not. And maybe, just maybe, this portrait of fear and this portrait of sadness and all of that, like maybe it could bring some comfort to someone because they see that and they think, oh wow, I, I've absolutely been there and now I don't feel quite so alone. But once again, I don't mean to suggest that's his goal. It's just something that he had inside that had to get out, and he was as true to that as he could be. And it's invigorating and refreshing and
1: horrifying, and yeah, I just, man, it just really got me. Can't wait. Um I don't mean to put you on the spot, but looking at my list, I'm, re- I'm reminded that Scott and I did toss out a couple honorable mentions at the oh, end. okay. I think mine, if I remember correctly, were Polite Society and Brooklyn 45. Okay. Do you have uh, just a couple you want to throw out? Um, I would say that um, Across the Spider-Verse is one of them. Okay.
0: Um, I will say, damn, it's long. Okay. It's like two hours and 20 minutes. Wow that is those only, animators
1: hands must be tired i know
0: <laughs> that is only an acceptable length for uh horror documentaries yeah <laughs> but um
1: uh
0: but you know all of the all of the uh virtuosic animation mm-hmm. of the original like just they just expand on it and it's just i use the word uh invigorating earlier and it is just at the very least visually it's invigorating and okay. it's just so much fun and you just, it's the kind of thing that when you watch it you just realize like just how hemmed in so many other animated movies yeah. are
1: uh, and you got another one, we can't go oh, these right, are just right. honorable mentions, you yeah. can't go too uh, deep much and to, your voice sounds like it's <laughs> hurting, yeah sorry about that much to my surprise
0: um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 um you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of the first one. I really like the second one. But this one, I think, is really doing some great things. It has one of my absolute favorite action sequences of, like, the last 20 years. Um, wow. And it's just so well done. Um, it has a, some of the most genuine emotion in all of the MCU. It has a villain that, like, like I was saying about Mia Goth, like, there are some villains in the MCU that are like I'm rooting against this person this villain is like I hate this guy (laughs) and I want him to be killed terribly and then in this one because because it's a crowd pleaser oh you get what you want (laughs) spoilers Um, but yeah and also there's just they're just exploring like just the nature of these characters and the nature of the nature of being a superhero being part of a team and like Who you are as an individual, even in the midst of all of that, it's really, like, it's so exciting that, like, Disney is just kind of letting, kind of letting James Gunn just do whatever he wants, um, and I like that he's really taking advantage of it, because this film really does feel unique, uh, within the MCU, and I liked it way more than I thought I would.
1: Alright, well, uh, you could find probably you can find reviews of something that we mentioned today at battleshippretention.com dot com. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, actually, Scott reviewed Asteroid City, so you could definitely yeah. find that. Uh, you can find me at Davey Pretension on Twitter on Blue Sky Letterbox David Backs. Uh, check out my other podcast. It's called the one where I met your mother. My wife and I watch Friends and How I Met Your Mother. And uh, Tyler, any place do you want people to to find you?
0: Um,
1: not right now, but.
0: Uh you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at More Lessons. That's the one that I'm using, uh, more often these days. Um, and you can read, uh, updates about my condition. Uh, the respiratory therapist says that, in his opinion, uh, I'm gonna be getting off the vent in, like, a few weeks. I personally think he's being overly optimistic, but you never know. Um... And you'd have your voice back...
1: Or you have, your voice would sound different.
0: Eventually I would have it back. At first it would be very weak, okay. but eventually I would have it back almost completely. It might be a little bit raspier, mm-hmm. but it would basically be my voice. So that's very exciting. Um, I'm getting a little bit more movement back. I got some, I'm getting more movement in my left shoulder and then a couple of uh, some very small movement and a couple fingers on my right hand. And so it's like, all right, it's going slow, but
1: it's happening, and I'm very excited. Uh, Well, I'm excited to keep doing these episodes with you. So um, uh, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.